Welcome to Kelly McAtee Curated Content for the Busy from the context of the seven mind-molding mountains of cultural influence, where we are seeking to be busy with the right things that fill our cup to overflowing because that not only nourishes ourselves, but it overflows onto our households, communities, cities, states, and nations. For when the people thrive in the land, the whole land prospers. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to talk a little bit about love. So we hear a lot about the word love in our culture. And so often our cultural messages surrounding love, the visual messages, um, kind of the unspoken messages and even the more overt messages can tend to be really wrong. (laughs) There's just no other way to say it. But often our culture, and we're certainly in this Western, you know, United States culture, at least that's where where I stand at the moment and where I grew up, but you can look through history really and see very similar threads of Miss ideas, that's not really a word, but um, wrong ideas surrounding love. So we can really think of love actually as even a persona. So the word of God says that God is love. It doesn't say God is like love. It says God is love. So that means that Love is a person. And then we see also in the word that Jesus of Nazareth is fully God and fully man. So he is the only being in existence that is both fully human and fully God at the same time, embodying absolutely everything that we need to know about an invisible, infinite God. So God the Father is infinite. He is invisible. He is spirit. He is everywhere. So he is omniscient and omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present, all-present. That's what that omni, all means. And so how on earth are we a finite being, a human, you know, we've got skin and um, we've got limits and we've got to sleep and we've got to eat and we run out of fuel. And so we have to refuel and we have to resleep. So we are finite beings. How are we to experience an infinite being? Well, that infinite invisible being chose to submit himself to the limits of the human body. Now, why do I say chose? Because God is all-knowing. He is fully in charge. He is all-powerful. So if he does something, it is out of intentional choice. And so he chose out of love for us, 
his creation out of love, not just for humans, but for all of his creation that was subjected to the frustration of sin. I mean, sin has unbelievable repercussions that reverberate out from the human soul and the human existence into all of creation. And so we can actually see that manifest when, you know, our hearts break and see, you know, a dolphin that has died because it has, um, you know, a plastic bottle around its little bottle nose and it suffocated or starved to death. You know, it's like, that's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and so there's all sorts of different examples that we can pull from where we can physically see and experience the manifested physical ugliness of sin being subject or, or actually causing frustration out in creation. You know, we see that with um, all kinds of abuses, human abuse, animal abuse, that sort of thing. Um, so out of love for his creation and in order to save his creation, he became essentially his creation. Yet he was distinct in the fact that he was and is, he's living, he's the living God. So while Jesus died and descended into hell for, it wasn't quite three days. We say that because we hit three calendar days, but it really was more like um, 24, 48 hours, descended into hell and then he rose again. So he died the death that we all deserve because all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, there is no human that is good enough in the sense to reach an infinite, perfect, holy God. And so that's why we need the mechanism of forgiveness, repentance, which repentance precedes, it goes before the act of repentance, which means I'm kneeling before an almighty living presence that is better than I am. I know this, I recognize it, and I recognize my need for that Savior. And so I am turning away from those sinful ways and I'm turning towards the forgiveness, the love, the hope, the joy, the restoration. And then you have the restoration between the creation and the creator. And so that mechanism, that bridge that gets the human there is Jesus. It's a person. So that brings us back to the persona of love. So love is more behavioral than it is emotional. Our culture and our, you know, Hollywood, all the visual messages that we get, you know, YouTube, all sorts of things, very much confuses love with sex or chemistry. And so chemistry is not love and it doesn't last. And um, sex is not love, but it is a piece of it. And so there's a whole, I mean, we could spend a whole entire, you know, five episodes on 
sex alone and how those messages get so perverted and mixed up and twisted, not only within our own flesh, because our flesh tends to mistake love and physical engagement in a sexual way. So instead of having that in a right place, and then you can get into the difference between males and females and how they experience the the physical nature of sexuality and all of that because they're they're coming from two different places and so often you know women are seeking love and they mistake it and think that that is sex and vice versa and then they can't figure out why they end up feeling so empty um and why the sex part can't touch the love part. It's like, well, those they're coming from two totally different places. You know, love is a core thing. Every single baby and child on the planet needs love. Well, so then that begs the question, well, wait a second. What is love? What does it look like? Because love, true love, you can touch it, you can taste it, you can smell it, you can feel it. It is behavioral. You can see it. So love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or rude. It's not boastful. It's not proud or selfish. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, which means it doesn't punish you over and over again if you haven't done what it wants you to do. It does not gloat over other people's sins, which means it doesn't take delight when other people screw up or um, fall, Um, but it takes its delight in the truth. Love always bears up. That means it lifts up. It encourages. It says, no, you can do this. You can absolutely triumph. It always trusts, it always hopes, it always endures. Love never ends. Okay, so then you can connect that with the truth of that all things that are truly rooted in the living God, they never end. They don't break down, they don't fail, they never end. Love never ends. And so then you get into further study and you start to see that the lasting things are trust, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's like, okay, but trust in what? Hope in what? Love what? Because there's lots of things in my life that I've trusted in that fell real flat. (laughs) Let me tell you. Or that I've hoped for or hoped in and they not only fell flat like they hurt me they devastated me because at the end of the day they weren't actually real and so that is where I have found that the only place I can truly put my trust my hope my love is in the person of Jesus well how do I do that Because right now, he's invisible. Right now, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So how do I do that? Well, it's a relationship. Okay? 
But then how do I have a relationship with somebody who's invisible? Well, it's hard. (laughs) It takes time. It takes practice. It takes a lot of focus. But the truth is, is that through his Holy Spirit that was released at Pentecost that you can read about in Acts, pick up your Bible and go read Acts, because it was at at Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks. That's the, the original feast that was fulfilled at Pentecost. That feast, the Feast of Weeks, had been around long time, since the ancient days. It just happened to be fulfilled at Pentecost because that was the moment that Jesus took his seat at the right hand of God the Father and actually stepped in to that throneship, that eternal throneship that came through David. He is the seed of David. He is the offshoot of Jesse. He is the branch. That's all Jesus. Once he took his seat in that throne, boom, the Holy Spirit of the Most High Living God is released onto this planet, which means his presence is always with us. And the second that we acknowledge that we are a sinner in desperate need of a savior and grace and redemption, and we turn away from those sins, we repent, turn away from those sins and turn towards the living God and accept Jesus into our hearts. And we say, I want you to take the throne of my heart. I want you to rule and reign inside of me, inside of my heart and my mind and my body. I don't know how to do that, but I want you to teach me. It is in that moment that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and abides with us, which means lives with us, within us. And then we start that process of little by little building that relationship because we've got a piece of him inside of us that then can speak to us, but we have to learn his voice. You know, it takes a while to come out of the, the word we'll talk about Babylon. It says, my people come out of her. Well, what is Babylon? Babylon is anything or anywhere that Jesus of Nazareth, the living God, is not ruling and reigning. And so that's when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? Very simply, the kingdom of God is anywhere that Jesus rules and reigns. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the great I am. He is the ancient of days. And he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. They are one yet distinct. And so those are, you know, some difficult concepts that really that's why the word says you have to be like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? pay attention, watch sometimes, watch a little kid just kind of walk around and just the innocence, the curiosity, the way that they'll come up and you, you can kind of get down in their face and you can, you know, maybe do like a little magic trip trick or something for them. And they just have this wonder, their eyes get so big and they go, Oh my gosh. You know, and how sweet they are that they believe in the magic of Santa Claus and the magic of a tooth fairy and the magic even of the Easter bunny, and which none of those are actually about. 
the holiday themselves, but they bring in kind of this, this magical wonder that everybody has so much fun believing in. It's like, okay, well, so we don't want to necessarily believe in falsehoods, but at the same time, those type situations help mirror the lighthearted wonder that a child has. It's like, well, we in our hearts are called to have that lighthearted, childlike wonder. There's a very big difference between childlike and childish. And so we are called to mature in our faith and to becoming more and more like, looking like, sounding like, walking like the person of Jesus, which we have very clear examples as to how he loved people. He did not come to condemn people. He came to save people. You can look at him over and over and over through the scriptures where he would say to people, be healed. He didn't say, yeah, you've really lived a nasty life. You've done a lot of really bad stuff. Never, never did he say that to people. He would say, go and sin no more, which he's like, hey, it's clear. You know not to be a prostitute. You know that isn't good for you you know that that doesn't do good things for you. So even living like a prostitute, not a good thing. Even if you don't get paid for such things, but you're living like that and dressing like that and talking like that and walking like that, it's not a good thing for you and you know that. So that's kind of the concept is he never beat people up. He never said, oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. Why do you do that? Nope, never did it. There's not one record of him saying that to people. Instead, he loved them. He listened to them. He told them stories. He listened to their stories. He cried with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He taught them in the most loving ways. But did he challenge them? Absolutely he did. That's love challenging one another, not in nasty ways, not in abusive ways, not like you're an idiot, but like a, hey, let's look at this. Let's not do these things over and over again. Let's not hit our head against the wall and then wonder why we have terrible headaches and lumps on our heads. Let's actually stop hitting our heads against the walls and let's figure out how to do that. Because so often we're doing it and we don't even really realize we're doing it. So that's the idea behind love, speaking the truth in love. And Paul even talks about in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, I really encourage you to go and really dive into that deeply and go back even to the original language and just really study that. Because he says, you can have all the talent on the planet but if you don't have love, you are like a blaring b brass, which is like a loud, annoying horn, somebody blowing in your ear, which hurts your ear and your brain, or a clanging cymbal, which again is loud and annoying and hurts your ears and your brain. So you can have all the talent, you can have all of the spiritual gifting, 
on the planet. You can prophesy like crazy. You can have all sorts of other talents. But if you don't have love, then you're loud and annoying. Nobody can hear you. And nobody can even receive your message. Because guess how love penetrates us through our core. It's a language. It's a message. And it is often done without words. Because guess who I have been the most hurt by in my life are people who say all sorts of loving things, but they don't do them. They don't do them. All they are is talk. Those are the people that I have been the most hurt by, the most devastated by, and guess what? I was doing it too. I was doing it too. I didn't know it. I couldn't see it. But then in this very epiphany moment where I was starting to really learn the truth of what God's love really is, what it really looks like, and I started to learn his definition of it, not the world's definition of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have been saying that I love the most important people in my world, but I have not been doing the things of love in and around my household. I have been, I, you know, Mark and I, we, when we were first married, he used to kind of watch me. He's like, oh my gosh, you're so nice to the grocery store lady. And then the second we walk away from her and it's just you and me, you're so mean. <laughs> it's like so true. Oh my gosh, like mouthy and irritable to her. I mean, to him and just as nice as can be to her. But even then, even to her, it wasn't authentic. I was probably, I don't even know, I'd have to spend some time on this, but I was probably just trying to be rude to him by showing him, I'm going to be nice to her and not nice to you because you bug me and you're not letting me do what I want to do. And so I want to punish you. (laughs) Probably what I was doing, which is just so horrible. Like, why am I going to be mean, unkind, rude, mouthy, irritable to the people that I say I love the most. Why do that? Stop doing that. So it took me a little while, but I'm getting but I'm getting better. It's a constant um, effort, and it is a habit that I have had to break. I've had to grab a hold of that, and I've had to be really honest. You know, there's certain things. You know, I've had to be really honest with Mark, and even our daughter, our child. I've had to really get good at confessing. I'm so sorry. This particular task really irritates me. Um, I hate emptying the dishwasher. And so I am going to try to be thankful that I actually have a dishwasher. And I'm going to see if I can't um, flip that in me and be a little bit nicer when I, I constantly have to deal with dishes. So, I mean, that's kind of a a stupid and trivial example, but you get it. And it's true, actually. It's like, why on earth does this irritate me so much? And I've talked to other people who they, something else irritates them. Ironing. They can't stand ironing. Or 
putting away laundry, right? So it's like, I don't mind doing laundry, but I hate putting it away. I don't know. I don't know why. And then other people don't mind putting it away. So it's like we all have our different little picadillos. And so getting really honest about confessing, I'm so sorry. I don't know why. That it, I'm not actually irritated at you. I'm irritated at this and this. Or maybe you are irritated at them. And there's a reason. And so there's an important discussion that needs to take place. It's like we need to discuss. Why do you constantly do X, Y, Z when you know it irritates me? Can we please get to the bottom of this? And then you can do a give and take to where they can have the opportunity to say, well, you do ABC and that really irritates me. Can we make a deal here? Right? I'm a deal maker. Okay. So that makes sense to me. So it's like, okay, I see that when I do ABC, that bugs you. When you do X, Y, Z, that bugs me. I'm going to work on my thing. You work on your thing. We'll see if we can't help one another out. And so that right there, that negotiating, that meeting each other in the middle, that bearing all things, that recognizing that, okay, when I say this, it triggers that in you. Or when I do this, that triggers, you know, that in you. And coming together, negotiating with one another in love and moving forward better than ever by engaging in important conversations that need to take place. It's not love avoiding important conversations. It just isn't. That is burying. That is denial. That is avoiding confrontation. That is all sorts of things. Now, I will always say if if it's an abusive situation, that's not love either. Um, there are a lot of different reasons why people can be abusive or stay in abusive relationships. There has to be a giver of abuse and there has to be a receiver of abuse. And there are lots of different reasons why people will be in those roles. And there's absolutely healing for both of those roles. Hear me. There is absolutely healing. But both people have to seek proper help wise, proper, and usually professional help. Now, not all professionals are really good at what they're doing. So I really encourage you to be very discerning and thoughtful and wise in terms of who you seek help from. Um, A lot of local churches can have some really good um, therapists or counselors. There's, and I'll always have in the, the Um, show notes. I will always have good places to go seek help. So I'm always going to encourage that. I have my counselors. I always have people that I am going to see. I can't see clearly all the time. And sometimes life gets stressful or stuff happens that you can't predict. And you got to have somebody you can trust to go process with. You've got to talk things out in a safe place. And often humans, especially women, And there are lots of verbal, male verbal processors. So it is not necessarily a male-female thing. So it really depends on how you process. Um, Lots of times we need to verbally process something, get it straight in our heads first, and then go sit down with our loved ones and engage in the conversations. Most times, like with Mark, I have got, we have figured out how to help one another in that way to where we can process with one another. But that took a long time to get there, almost 20 years. So 
I had to go process with a counselor first, get things straight in my mind, and then I could sit down with Mark and talk things out. Then over that time, we've figured out, okay, here's what he needs, here's what I need, and here's how we can both meet those needs. But that, again, took some time. So the whole idea of love being sexual in nature, that's only, that is a very small piece of love, and there's only one person on the planet that that should be an expression. A physical expression should only be with one person on the planet. That is the design. That is what is safe for each individual. Um, we are not designed to have multiple um, physical partners. And I can get into that in another um, at another time. But there are levels of intimacy. So we should not be emotionally intimate with 20 people. That doesn't, that's not good for us. So we should be emotionally intimate with the Lord our God first. That takes time. Trust is built, right? That is something that is built over time. Trust is built and comes over the time of experiencing behaviors of love, not just words, behaviors of love. Those tangible things that I just talked about of being patient, kind, somebody not being boastful or arrogant or rude. There's freedom in love. So we have the freedom to make mistakes. There's a free give and take of forgiveness and restoration. There is, um, there's reconciliation that happens in a space and a place where love is. So I've had to learn over time that there are even organizations or places of work. You can start to see these principles at work in not only in friendships, but also in organizations and places. Um, and you want to start to take note of that. It's like, oh, wow, that place talks about love a lot. Yet somehow when I engage with the people there or when I'm in the atmosphere of that place, I don't actually feel those behaviors of love. What I feel is kind of panic. I feel fear. I feel, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. You know, maybe I feel that um, anxiety of the Nike, just do it. Oh, you just got to do it. You got to be better. Like, no, no, I can't. I I can't. That's not sustainable. I promise you I will screw up eventually. So, like, I can't just do it better. I have to have transformation, which comes from the core, which comes from love, which comes from the Holy Spirit of the Most High Living God. So I have started really looking and paying attention to how I feel when I'm engaging in certain places and organizations. And that helps me then decide if I'm going to either be a part of that group or organization or if I'm going to engage or what my role is going to be in a certain place. And there can be lots of different reasons why 
some of those particular qualities of, of fear and worry and doubt and anxiety and even depression. Like depression, you can start to, sometimes I'll walk into a place and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just lost all my energy. Like I all of a sudden feel fatigued and I've got like a headache coming on. I feel really, you know, um, sad for some reason. It's like, well, sometimes that can, that place can have a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold that is manifesting in depressive symptoms. And so sometimes we have to pay attention to that. It's like, ooh, no, okay. Um, I can pray for those, those people or that place or, Something like that, but I myself am not going to necessarily engage there until that stronghold is broken because I don't want to be depressed. Being depressed and feeling depressed sucks. It sucks. And I don't want that. I don't want to carry that through my days. I don't want to behave like that. So that means that I have to take ownership of myself and where I engage and I have to know my limits, I have to know what I'm susceptible to, and I have to say no to those places, those people, and that those environments that trigger certain things in me that I don't then want to go live out. And so then it always comes back to, I am responsible for myself. I have to take responsibility for my own decisions, for my own actions. And because the truth is, is that when each one of us is standing before the throne of the most high living God, he is not going to ask me about you. He's going to ask me about me. So I truly am the only one that I can truly work on and change. Everybody else has got to do the same. And when that happens, we will start to see the true lasting manifestation physically of the kingdom of God. And that is so exciting. So exciting. So we'll get into some of the details of the kingdom of God. That is what gets me up in the morning. That is what excites me because that is what is real. It is what is lasting. It is a place that is so pure that the streets are the purest gold ever in the whole universe. And it looks like glass. And it is a physical place. It is a real place that is coming. And that is where I want to be. So I hope that you will join me I say this sort of thing all the time. It's not easy, but it's highly valuable. So thank you again so much for joining me. Please consider sharing it. Come back anytime. And I just want to bless you in the name of Jesus, you and your daily life, your family, your whole world with eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of the Messiah of the whole world, the Savior of the whole world, the Anointed One, knocking on the door of your heart. He does it with His voice. So I bless you with eyes to see and ears to hear Him. Him, the one true living God. And may you have the courage to open the door and say yes and invite Him in. For He says,
that when we do, he will have us sit at his table. And it is a table of the most unbelievable bounty that we cannot even imagine. The best of this earth makes that table, the best of this earth does not even remotely compare to the bounty of that table. We don't want to miss it. And may a great thriving begin to take place in your whole world.